0: Welcome to Concerning Cams, brought to you by Education Pathways. I'm Kevin Konachny, your host. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get started. Our topic today is most notorious pests in the landscape. I have the pleasure to be here with Linda Ray Nelson. Linda is the president of Greenscapes Southwest Florida. Welcome, Linda, to Concerning Cams. And could you please start by telling us a bit about your background in the landscaping industry?
1: Well, good morning, Kevin. It's great to be here. Um, a little bit about the background. Let's see. I was born and raised a Floridian, and um, I've spent my entire life in this area. And I've had the pleasure of playing in the landscape um, just about every day of that entire life in the area. Um, biggest hobbies is um, the landscaping, landscaping, and landscaping. And so it's it's just fun to go out and work at it. And so being native of here, it's, it comes to me naturally.
0: Well, excellent. Um, so as we talk about notorious pests, where should we be the, begin the conversation?
1: Well, if we really wanted to, to, to begin the conversation, we'd probably start in the 1900s. And um, before we start back in the 1900s, so let's talk about what a pest is. You know, and the general emotional um, contact when we talk about pests, people get real emotional when we really need to look at the dynamics surrounding the pest. Not all pests are harmful. Um, We have a lot of beneficials out there that helps keep our ecosystem in balance. You know, Florida has more pests than any other state, and there's probably too many to mention to even try to go into it in this little podcast. Uh The better way of identifying them is to understand the manner in which they develop and the manner in which they feed. And so when we look at this, we'll be able to sort which is harmful insects and pests and which ones are um, not harmful to us. Um, We also want to look at the, the population threshold. And so there's a procedure called IPM, which is Integrated Pest Management. And by using Integrated Pest Management, what you're really doing is you're scouting the landscape and you're treating the areas where the threshold of the pest are starting to cause damage to the landscape. A lot of times we have the pest, the damaging pest that's in our landscape, but their threshold isn't enough to cause significant damage. And a lot of times if they're left untreated, the natural insects will come in and either parasize them or or feed upon them. And so it's trying to keep that balance. But sometimes when the damaging insects, um, the population, outweighs our beneficials, then you want to come in and spot treat by using chemical applications.
0: How do CAMs know um, when they need to reach out to you to begin to address an issue with pests on the property
1: you're going to notice it because most of your pests are either chewing or piercing they're going to charge they're going to excuse me they're going to create some type of physical damage to the plant and so when you're seeing this sometimes you can just hand prune it off if you get caterpillars you can just go in there and trim off the branches pick them off or trim off the branches where the caterpillars are feeding if you get a high infestation of aphids you can usually come in and just trim them off and and not even have to treat the plant Usually, typically, though, if you do start having a, an infestation, then you're going to want to, you know, treat that area in about a six-foot border all the way around it. When you get into the, the more damaging insects, that's probably going to be going back to the turn of the century. We was talking about that 1900 mark. Um, there where we have the biggest damaging insect, which is the southern chinch bug. And the reason the southern chinch bug is one of the largest damaging is because they, have, they feed rapidly, and it's on Flortem. Um, floritam was introduced in 74 because it was one of the best turfs that we had to be resistant against chinch bugs. Um, the chinch bug has a piercing mouth on it and it actually pierces the leaf tissue of the floritam and it essentially sucks all the juices out of it, dehydrates the blades. And that's why the blades will fold and lay down. And continuously being pierced, the turf will dehydrate. Now chinch bugs usually will come in to stress turf. And like I said, that's probably one of our oldest pests that we have that can create the most damage in the shortest period of time. So
0: should CAMS be thinking about uh, a pest mitigation program while they're beginning to start services from a landscaping company? And how does that work? Oh,
1: 100%. You know, basically, you want to make sure they've got a state-certified LNO operator that's applying the chemicals, and you want to talk about the programs that they're using. For years, the the, the state and our local officials have frowned upon what's called broadcast applications, where you just go in and you treat the entire area coast-to-coast applications. Um, haven't been doing those in probably a good, 15 to 20 years and so talking with your providers to see what their program is and what their thought process is behind it because a lot of times the insects have a cycle to them so you're going to have chinch bugs coming up in the early spring um, when you start getting all that top growth um, affecting your turf right now the hibiscus is all going to bud sets, and so we're starting to see a little bit more thrip activity. So it really depends upon the season. So talk to them about their philosophies on it.
0: Okay. And what are some other pests we need to be aware of?
1: Um... Other pests we need to be aware of as we're moving into, um, and let's stay with the turf because it's our biggest area of damage and it has the, the largest cost to it, would be around 1944 with the introduction of sod webworms. Again, dealing with that turf, um, the sod webworms come in and they eat the leaf blade off. So you had the chinch bug that pierced it and sucked the juices out, dehydrated it. Now you've got the sod webworm that actually eats the leaf blade off of the, the, the stolen.
0: This sounds like a a Halloween podcast.
1: Well, it's pretty close to it, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You know, the the thing with the, the sod webworms, what they basically do is they skeletize the leaf. And so that's usually when you can identify them. And a lot of times when you're walking through your turf in the mornings, you'll see the little white moths fly up. That's a really good indicator that you've got sod webworms. When you're dealing with chinch bugs, and you're dealing with webworms, you're going to be putting down definitely more applications of insecticides than not to try to control them. And again, using IPM, scout the areas.
0: Okay, so we have the chinch bugs, we have the sod, webworms. What are other pests we need to be concerned about?
1: So why don't we move over into the ornamental pest, mm-hmm. and we can kind of speed speed zone it a little bit to um, in a period of time closer to where we're at now. In um, 2001, we had a large infestation of the cycad scale, and it pretty much wiped out the cycads. Now, the cycads are your palms like your sagos and um, during this time period it it pretty much wiped out that population and they're still present so the interesting thing about a lot of these insects just to to kind of side note here is florida being located like we are and being a tropical environment we will get anywhere from two to three new pests a year Mm. Um, they're brought in on the trade winds every time we have any type of wind event or weather event, um, odds are we're going to get a new insect that gets trapped up in that and it winds up in our landscape. And it takes a while for it to get balanced out because a lot of times there's not a natural predator within our environment that will help keep that insect in check. And so when we look at ones like the cycad scale, that was actually introduced from a nursery in Homestead. Um, a lady had brought a plant back. It got sick and they tried to treat it and they couldn't treat it. They disposed of it. And well, the cycad scale kind of move through the the industry you know shortly after that in 2004 we had the pink mealybug, bug hibiscus and that really did a number and it's still very common now it almost wiped out the pink hibiscus during that time period and it primarily focuses on hibiscus there was a little bit of research done into it then after that it's kind of started affecting tomato plants and then there was a lot more research done on it at
0: that time So should a CAM uh, or the landscaping committee, should they walk the property with their landscaper to learn more about what to look for and help identify some of these challenges?
1: Oh, 100%. You know, and and again, that's a combined effort. And you're going to want to look because thrips are always present on hibiscus. It's the level that they get to. Peak Mealybug is a a contact application. And there's also products that you can use that gets into the, the inner fluids of the plant. And um, we'll control it that way also.
0: Linda, will you tell us about the weeping ficus thrip?
1: You know, we're still hanging in that 2004 time period. And the, the weeping ficus thrips um, is, it's about one-seventh of an inch in length. Um, they're dark brown to black in color. And their primary host is the weeping fig, which is a form of the ficus benjaminaea. Um, it's one of the um, only plants that we know that it kind of feeds on at this current time. However, a lot of times people people confuse that with the 2009 ficus whitefly, which came through um, from the East Coast and wiped out hundreds of thousands of dollars in ficus trees, and ficus plants. A mile long, two mile long hedges was completely defoliated. And I think a lot of the imbalance that we had then was people was just so emotional about it, because we had so many of the ficus within our landscape. It was almost like a monoculture. Um, people wanted the ficus hedges because they were rapid growers, and we didn't realize the damage on it because the ficus was such a is such a rapid grower that when the the flies laid their eggs, and it's not so much the flies that does the damage, but when the flies lays their eggs and the egg hatch. The larvae is what feeds on the leaf and pierces the leaf. And so that's when you start getting your damage and you get the defoliation because it's dehydrated the leaf. You know, so it's there's a couple ways of treating it. One's a contact kill, and you've got to be out there constantly spraying it because, remember, contact kill is that moment in time. So it's not going to kill the eggs. It's going to kill the adults. So it's a moment in time when you could actually get a, a good return on the investment on that. A lot with the Vicus with the whitefly is the use of systemics is you're putting the insecticide into the ground to be picked up by the plant. And then once the um, fly pierces the leaf, it kills it, but the leaf's still damaged. And so those are the two of the ficus um, problems, children that we've had since 2004 into 2009.
0: So the leaf is damaged, but will it grow back? Or is that it?
1: It will grow back. The leaf will defoliate itself. And that was part of the reason why we didn't really see how extensive they were spreading. Um, like I mentioned, the ficus is a very rapid-growing plant. That's why it gained so much popularity um, in the past years, because of its its ability to grow tall and grow fast. Mm. It gives people those privacy hedges that they were looking for.
0: Okay. And so well, well, what else should we be thinking about?
1: You know, one of the other ones that we're still seeing a lot of problem with was 2008, and, you know, here we are in 2020, and it's still one of our larger pests in the landscape is the croton. Mm. Scale, and it primarily affects the croton plants, so all different species of the crotons, and it's a scale, and it, it it attacks the plant, and by leaving the secretions from it, the plant has a hard time creating photosynthesis, and so you really have to to treat that on an ongoing basis. But it's still very prevalent in the landscape right now. When it first came out, there was only probably about fifty host plants. Um, now it's well over a hundred mm. host plants that it will um, host upon. You know, they didn't have a lot of information about it um, at that time. They know a little bit more about it now, but it's still monitoring the populations of it. You're really going to have to monitor that. There's not a preventative, so it's monitoring. And that's what you have with a lot of the insects. You know, it's hard to say, okay, we'll put a preventative down. If you don't have it present, um, odds are you're not going to catch that window of opportunity. That's why I said it's the moment in time.
0: Okay. Are there any plants that naturally resist insects or pests um, that can be part of the landscaping system, or is that just not a thing?
1: Yes and no. It all depends upon how how much of each plant you've got stacked in the landscape mm. you know it's like the ficus the ficus is a strong plant I mean you can cut it down to the ground and it'll come back mm. but when you have so much of the same monoculture and landscaping at some point in time there's going to be an insect or a disease that comes in there and creates damage and again insects are always present they're always going to be in our landscape it's just controlling their thresholds it's using best management practices it's not over trimming plants it's putting the right plant in the the right place to where you're not constantly wounding it because every time you wound it, twi- trimming it. Boy, that was hard to come out for a minute there. Every time mm-hmm. you wound it, when you trim it, um, you create a stress in that plant. That over a period of time is going to create either a disease or bring insects in as the plant starts to decline.
0: Okay, um, so we're, we've been talking about pests that are harmful. Are there are there some pests that are not actually harmful that that help the process. You have a lot of
1: beneficial pets, uh, pest in our landscape. Um, our main one is the ladybug. Hmm. I mean, a ladybug is, she's a predator. She eats a lot of the, um, damaging insects. Um, your wasp, are beneficials. They parasize a lot of the insects that we deal with. So we have a lot of beneficials. It's just the way we view them. And we have to remember insecticides are not selective. An insecticide kills the, the insect or the pest, whether it be a harmful or it be a beneficial. And sometimes that's what gets us out of balance is that we run and we put too much pesticide down and we break up that nature's balance.
0: So in closing, Linda, what are some things that uh, CAM should be thinking about with regard to landscaping and pests? What are your closing thoughts?
1: You know, I think a CAM's biggest responsibility is just just to get a good partner. And we have to remember, um, like we have talked about the last couple minutes, the successful programs with pest management is constantly scouting and constantly monitoring the landscape. And it's seasons. So you know what seasons, what pests are going to be present in the landscape. Getting into the landscape with your vendors, looking at it, scouting the areas, knowing what's seasonal, knowing what can be treated and what is okay and going to self-correct itself is probably the best thing a Cancum do It's being active in the landscape.
0: Okay. Well, Linda, thank you for joining us today on Concerning Cams to walk us through most notorious pests in the landscape. If listeners have additional questions, how can they best reach you or your associates at Greenscapes Southwest Florida?
1: Um, Well, that's kind of easy. They can either give us a call at 239-643-4471, and someone will be glad to help them, or they can visit us at our website at greenscapesfl.com.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Linda, and we will include this contact information in the episode notes for this podcast for our listeners. Thank you.